not meant to scare you and freak you out. It's just meant to explain to people that they're not being protected, that there are known carcinogens, known chemicals of concern, and known endocrine disruptors, those chemicals that mess with our hormones, all over our environment. And just by being wiser shoppers, just by being careful about what we buy, literally, and what we put into our home, on our bodies, our cleaning products, you can reduce your exposure to these chemicals by a lot. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening, my name is Kim Peek, and it is my mission to help you move more, feel better, and think, feel, and live like a champion. Today, I am talking with Meg Hirschberg, the founder and president of a nonprofit organization, the Anti-Cancer Lifestyle Foundation. The Anti-Cancer Lifestyle Foundation maintains and disseminates the Anti-Cancer Lifestyle Program, which is a lifestyle transformation program for cancer survivors. Program participants are given the tools and information they need to make evidence-based lifestyle changes in the areas of diet, fitness, stress management, and toxin reduction, all of which reduces the risk of cancer recurrence. For 15 years, Meg was a freelance writer for magazines and had a regular column in Inc. Magazine. Her Balancing Acts column explored the effects of entrepreneurial businesses on families, a subject she also addressed in frequent speaking appearances and in her 2012 book, For Better or For Work, a survival guide for entrepreneurs and their families. Meg worked in her husband Gary's business, Stonyfield Yogurt, for the first several years of the business, which ultimately became the largest organic yogurt company in the world. You can learn more about the Anti-Cancer Lifestyle Foundation and the Anti-Cancer Lifestyle Program at anticancerlifestyle.org. Welcome to the show, Meg. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I would love just a little bit of background. You have a new course that you have just launched. Can you tell me how you became interested in teaching people how to develop an anti-cancer lifestyle? Yes, absolutely. Um, I myself am a cancer survivor, breast cancer. I was diagnosed in 2001 with stage three and had the, what's known as a killing cure of surgery, chemo, and radiation. And then uh, seven years later, in 2008, I had a metastasis to my iliac crest, which is part of your, basically like your hip area. I, I always joke that this is how cancer survivors learn parts of the body. <laughs> they get cancer in places they never even heard of. That is so true. Yeah. So, um, and that was, I was lucky because it was a single metastasis. It was already destroyed. Um, but at the time, getting cancer scary enough, getting cancer recurrence scary because you realize, gee, I, I have this, you know, I really have this disease. I better do something about it. And I asked, you know, as opposed to just being passive and letting my oncologist sort of pull out all their toolbox and, um, of, of uh, you know, all the things that they do that are, are, are life-saving, no doubt. But I wanted to know at that time, well, gee, what can I do? Like, I don't want to be a victim here, a passive person just waiting for the cancer to come back. You know, I mean, there must be things I can do to help myself. And I 
asked my oncologist and got an answer that I discovered is classic uh, because at this point, having run these, the in-person anti-cancer lifestyle program since 2011, um, I've asked hundreds, literally hundreds of cancer survivors, gee, did you get the same answer that I got? Which is some version of go back to your life as normal, even if you've been eating Big Macs, whatever you've been doing. Um, keep your stress level down for your skin. So what that effectively does for the cancer survivor is it creates an information vacuum. Like, gee, I want to help myself. I'm not getting anything from my provider. So a lot of people go home, they go online, they talk to their Aunt Sally who had cancer and they, what did she do? And they end up a lot of times taking supplements that they don't need or doing other things that are actually not really effective. So at that time, I, you know, like a lot of people have cancer, I started getting advice from most of it unsolicited from of people, course. of course, um, you know, saying, do this, do that, do the other. And I didn't know what was real, what wasn't. So I ended up kind of doing nothing. And at the same time, I ran into, I actually became friends of, of them who had written a book. Uh, his name was David Servan Schreiber. And he wrote what became a, a bestseller called Anti-Cancer, A New Way of Life. He himself was a cancer survivor, and he assembled all this kind of information about what we know about lifestyle and how it influences cancer. And I was shocked to learn. I learned many things from David's book, but the main thing to get across is that most cancers actually are a result of lifestyle. There, Most people think, oh, it's a ge bad genetic roll of the dice or something, but in fact, that's not the case. It's it's the decisions we make every day about how we live our lives, the foods we eat, our stress levels, our physical activity levels, um, the, the, the products we put on our, our bodies or clean our homes with. These things all influence the likelihood of, of getting cancer more than anything else to, to, to not smoke. But all these other things are very impactful. So how do people react when they hear that statistic that 75% of cancers are caused by lifestyle factors. Because I know that on my own Facebook page, I have posted things that have just set people off. They get so angry when you try to say that it's lifestyle. How do people react to you about that? Well, you know, it depends. Uh, obviously, there's a spectrum of reactions. Um, some people, I have met people who take it as, um, uh, as a condemnation of the way they've been living. And it's not meant to be that at all. This is not about looking backwards about things you have done or may have done. Most people, especially when they get cancer, and I, I did the same thing. I was like, gee, what did I do? I must have done something. And you start kind of, you know, combing your past for things that you've done that might've given you cancer. And that's fruitless because nobody knows why you got cancer. I mean, unless you were exposed to asbestos and you get an asbestos related cancer called mesothelioma, or unless you've smoked your whole life and you get lung cancer, usually we don't know why people got, get cancer. I mean, we don't know specifically why, but we do. So it's sort of fruitless to look back at that. But what we do know is Certain lifestyle behaviors do influence the odds of getting cancer and cancer recurrence. So this isn't about the past. 
This is about how do I move forward in a way that reduces inflammation in my body and helps my immune system fight this disease. So that's really what it's all about. But I, I, I understand the nature of your question because a lot of people do take it as a, as a condemnation of the way they've lived. And it's not meant to be that at all. Yeah. So I don't know if you knew when we set up this interview, but I also had breast cancer four years ago. So I have just very recently gone through a lot of the things that that we're talking about today. Yes. It's close to home. Yes, definitely. You can't find a person out there whose lives have not been touched by cancer, whether it's themselves or someone very close to them. And the fact is that one out of every two American men and one out of every three women will hear the words, you have cancer, at some point in their life, their, their lifetimes. I mean, that's, those are the nature of the statistics. It's absolutely daunting. And the best thing we can do for ourselves and the things that, uh, you know, not coincidentally, these are things that make us feel better too, are really to figure out how to live a healthy lifestyle. And that will definitely influence our odds of getting not just cancer, but the other two major chronic illnesses that can kill or at least uh, uh, disable many Americans, which are are heart disease, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, which is both of which are so common now. I thought it was interesting too, because I did a podcast a couple, probably two months ago when there was a piece of research that made a, that made the news and was really getting a lot of coverage about the link between estrogen and menopause and dementia. And I think a lot of the same lifestyle factors we're going to talk about are the same lifestyle factors that you would also implement to reduce your risk of that. Well, absolutely. Uh, diet and exercise uh, and, 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 Probably some, uh, though it's harder to draw the link, but probably some of the chemicals that we're exposed to as well will will influence these these things. I mean, the bottom line is, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, definitely the diet and exercise, though. Yes, definitely those. And you know, the bottom line is, this is just there's absolutely no harm in living a healthier lifestyle, and there's plenty to be gained, plenty of benefit in terms of these chronic illnesses, but also in terms of just how you feel. And you feel physically, emotionally stronger when you live this way. You feel more capable. You feel like you're being proactive on your own behalf, really helping yourself. So there's, you know, there's a lot of intangibles in there too, psychologically, I think, benefits to, to living this way. So I want to get into what some of those lifestyle factors are, but before I say that, I'm curious, what do you say to people who feel like, oh, you're taking all the fun out of life. You're taking away all these things that I like to do. What do you say to them to to make them understand, can you convince somebody who, who has maybe spent a lifetime doing these unhealthy things that it's in their best interest to make some changes? Well, one of the reasons that we pitched this, what's basically a prevention course to cancer survivors, because uh, that's the data that we use to make the recommendations uh-huh. that we do, is because talk about having skin in the game, right? right? They, you know, when you, there's nothing like getting slapped upside the head with a, a life-threatening chronic illness to make you sit up and take this stuff seriously. True. 
um, you know, there, so that's why when it's when, especially when you're young and you're feeling healthy and it's just like, well, forget all this stuff. I don't need to know about it. It's easier to ignore it, uh, than it is, uh, later in life, which is, which is a pity because honestly, a lot of these, uh, threats to our health start when we're quite young, mm-hmm. um, but nevertheless, it's harder to get people to pay attention in terms of that, of, of that sense of deprivation. I don't feel that at all. Like, first of all, I, I'm not like living on a mountaintop with, you know, my loincloth and my, you know, brown rice. I mean, I'm like out there. I, I'll have ice cream sometimes. I'll have, you know, I'll do whatever. I'll have some wine. You know, I'm not like living some really austere life. Mm-hmm. It's really about making, really educating yourself and really trying to make healthy choices when and where you can. And it's about, another thing it's about critically is it's about not just doing things on automatic. Like for example, let's say you're strolling, you're in the grocery store and you're walking down the chip aisle and you think, I want chips because you like chips. And so you grab the chips and you throw them in your, you know, your basket. Well, what we're saying, we're not saying don't ever buy the chips. We're just saying, stop for a moment and think about it. Like, mm-hmm. do I really want those chips? Am I going to, how am I going to feel after I eat those chips? Like, is it really worth it to me? You know, in terms of all the, the bad stuff in there, you might decide it is, you might decide, well, I haven't had chips in three months and darn it. I want my chips, you know, that's fine. But it's really about taking your life off automatic, whether it has to do with the products that you purchase, the foods that you eat, the way you live every day. Most of us get up, we don't even think about it. We just kind of do what we did yesterday. You know, we, we're in these established patterns that we don't think about. And that's all we're really saying is, hey, think about it. Like, get educated about it. Make changes where and when you can and you want but at least know what you're what you're dealing with here. At least understand the trade-offs with the choices that you make. So let's start with what are just a handful of the nutrition-related lifestyle choices people can make. Oh boy, <laughs> we have that's one of our longest modules. Just so okay. you understand, of course, is that it's divided into five modules. You can take one of the modules. You can take all of the modules. Um, it's, we charge nineteen ninety five because we're charged by the learning management system that hosts our course. So we're just basically passing along the fees that our nonprofit um, for to run this course. But um, the the diet module. So the, oh, sorry, just to reiterate, there's uh, there's an introductory module. Then there's diet, fitness, mindset, and environment. And these are all the key areas that really influence your the way you live your life. And your again, your odds. It's all about odds. We can't say if you if you you could do everything we recommend and still get cancer. Mm-hmm. Nothing we recommend and not get cancer. You know, so there's no guarantees either way. But this is all about reducing the likelihood of chronic disease. It's all about odds reduction, really. So in terms of the diet module, that is wow. That is you know full of chock full of good information about diet. I would say the key thing to do, uh, and this is just generally true as well, is to read labels, to be, you know, really become educated when you're going through the store. Don't just get things, you know, really look at what's in them. So you want to avoid things like added sugar. I mean, most people don't know that 80% of the products in the grocery store 
80%, including your ketchup and your mustard, Mm -hmm. have added sugar. Even places where you don't think you would ever add sugar, they have added sugar. So really uh, looking for that, um, certain kinds of oils that are are not healthy, you know, really learning a little bit about how to read labels uh, to to select uh, the healthiest things for you. Um, I would say that would that would really be number one, sort of getting educated about that. Sugar reducing sugar is important. We've gone, you know, absolutely bonkers in this society with the sugar consumption. A lot of it's because it's hidden, you know, and and sugar has so many names on labels, you know, high fructose corn syrup, mm-hmm. and you know, you name it. There's it's sugar in many, many different forms. So I think becoming educated about those things right off the bat. And another important recommendation that we make in terms of meat uh, is to try to reduce your meat consumption. Do what people around, most people around the world do with meat because meat's very expensive protein. It, it costs a lot to make a pound of meat in terms of the um, forage, the um, how, you know, how the animals are raised, the water consumption and so forth. So in most parts of the world, they're not going to sit down and if, with like this big honking steak in front of them. They might have a little piece of meat, but they cut it up into little pieces, really the, like a condiment. We say right. use meat like a condiment. So if you're going to eat meat, use it like a condiment. So it's flavoring a big dish with you know rice and vegetables, and it's not the centerpiece of your plate. So that would be another important piece of advice. Now, do you have people look at like organic for their fruits and vegetables or grass fed or any of that type of thing for their meats or what is your philosophy there? Yeah. So we do have a whole section in the diet module about labels. So it's, it is important to try to understand labels. There are so many and they're so confusing to consumers. I mean, I just, you know, it's just crazy out there in label land and it's really hard to know what you're buying in terms of organics, um, we do talk a lot about organics actually in in the diet section. Um, and what we say for people who feel they can't they they can't really afford it, well, we we explain the benefits of organics. It, it's not just a marketing hype. You know, there are real benefits to organics, and we talk about them in the module. But a lot of people feel, gee, I'm not, I can't afford you know all those to buy everything organic. So what should I do? So we'll talk about, like, for example, the Environmental Working Group, EWG.org. Yeah, there's a list of what they call the Dirty Dozen. They put out this list every year. And those are uh, samples, actually, it's USDA information about the fruits and vegetables that have the highest amounts of pesticides in them. For example, unfortunately, strawberries has been number one the last two years. A lot of berries and fruits uh, are in that uh, that dirty dozen list. So we say to people, look, if you can't feel you can't afford a lot of organics, try to check out the dirty dozen and try to buy at least those things organic. So that then you'll really be, because for example, one sample of um, strawberries tested by the USDA had 22 different pesticides, 22. Wow. One sample. That's a lot of pesticides. And, you know, pesticides are neurotoxins. They're carcinogenic. 
you know, they affect your nervous system. They can cause cancer. They're endocrine disrupting chemicals, which we talk a lot about in the environment piece, which means they mess with your hormone system, which can be very important in terms of hormone related cancers, especially breast Mm -hmm. and prostate. So there's a lot of reasons to try to reduce your intake of pesticides for sure. So when I was going through chemo, one of the things they had me do mainly for a germ standpoint was to wash all my fruits and veggies in a, like a vinegar solution. Mm-hmm. Does that help get pesticides off? Or, you know, if you can't afford organic, but you want to eat your strawberries, is that a good way to do it? Or what, what's your recommendation? Well, that will help, but these samples that the Environmental Working Group uses to determine the dirty dozen, they've all been washed. Hmm. They've all been prepared the way most people would prepare them, which is washing. Something like a strawberry, you know, think about it. You know, that's probably why it has so many pesticides. The skin is, is, is tender. Uh-huh. And right. You can't really wash it. You could rinse it but you can't like scrub it and you certainly want to put vinegar on it. It would make them taste terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I do, for example, when I travel, if I'm staying in a hotel and I get oatmeal for breakfast or something, I'll get it without the berries because personally I would rather not have the berries than have them commercially grown. So there's things you can, that's my personal choice. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to sort of make that call on their own. But knowing what I know about it, that's my decision. Um, also, you know, remember, you can, especially off-season, um, but you can buy pretty easily, uh, like at Costco, they have, you know, huge bags of frozen organic berries that you can buy at a reasonable price. Costco sells a ton of organics, as does Walmart. So, you know, and they're usually pretty good, pretty good prices relative to what you may find elsewhere. So you just kind of have to hunt around. Everyone has to figure out where they fall on that, where they stand. I know I happen to know a lot about pesticides and the damage that they do. So I, I do my very best to eat organic whenever I can because I don't, I don't, you know, especially as someone who's had cancer, I just don't want that stuff in my body because I know what it what it can do. So that's another reason why I'm always pushing for eating as many fresh fruits and vegetables and preparing your own foods when you can rather than buying something in a box. Because if it comes in a box, then it has a lot more ingredients and you usually don't know what where any of it came from. What's your position on something like that as far as eating processed foods from a box? Well, we caution against that. Um, there are usually a ton of chemicals and this kind of comes around to reading labels. Again, there are dyes. There's usually, um, artificial everything, you know, whether it's artificial color, there's preservatives, which also you don't want in your body, you know, processed foods. I have to say, you know, I, we really, in our course, we recommend that people really limit them as much as they can. And I haven't, there's, there are very few processed foods that I would really consider healthy, honestly. I mean, I understand the appeal and every once in a while I'll, you know, I'll pick something up too, but I, 
I think it's important to say every once in a while <laughs> versus, you know, relying on them for your nutrition is not a good idea. Yeah. So then that kind of brings me back to another question, just the type of society that we are in where everybody wants convenience, convenience foods, you're at work, every celebration revolves around some sugar-filled donuts or cake. What kind of recommendations do you have for people for making this part, this healthy choices part of their lifestyle when it's so hard to escape it because not everybody is maybe caught up with this type of mindset yet? It's so hard when the culture around you does not only not support healthy choices, but puts the worst form of choices in front of you all the time. I mean, you can't even check out at a hardware store without having candy in front of you as you're checking out. Right, right. And everywhere we turn, there are these temptations for fast carbs, fast sugar, and you know we, we do become addicted. I mean, this is why we have an epidemic of obesity and you know, forty percent of Americans are obese. Another third are overweight, clinically in terms of BMI. That is a disaster. It is not only it is one of the greatest risk factors, not just as most people know for heart disease and diabetes, but for cancer also. Fat is uh, for for different reasons. Fat is it, it, it's an inflammatory in our body. And it also, fat is a, a mildly estrogenic, so it secretes hormones. Again, we, we have this epidemic of breast cancer and prostate cancer, which are hormone-fed cancers generally, right? So it, it all kind of circles back on itself. And the important thing to remember is that cheap food isn't cheap. You know, cheap food is very, very expensive. That's why we have this, you know, out of control healthcare system. That's why people are so sick. That's why most Americans have pre-existing conditions. It's not just because of diet, but diet is right up there as a number one cause. So, you know, you say, how can people resist? It's hard. I mean, not only that, but like, let's say you have children, right? One way we celebrate our kids, they have a party, we make a cake, we make muffin, you know, they have birthday, we make... We make we we buy them candy, you know, to, as a way to you know reward them or or treat them nicely, and so you end up in this sort of cycle where this sort of cheap sugary food, which is not really even food actually, uh, becomes um, comfort food. It becomes a reward. It becomes a way of saying I love you. You know, it's right. It's, it's very very difficult to buck the trend, and. I would just say again, I mean, acknowledging how hard it is, is important, but just when you are, say you're at an office party and there's, you know, cupcakes and all that stuff all around, again, what I would caution people to do is just don't be automatic. Don't just grab that cupcake and the next one because they're there. Think about it. Is this worth it? Do I really want to do this? How am I going to feel about myself after I've downed two or three of these cupcakes? Right. You know, and then you may decide, you know what, what, what the heck, I'm going to have one. You know, I want one, right? But at least then you've made a conscious decision. You're not just on automatic. And I think that's, I think being on automatic is, is what leads to this sort of cycle of bad food. It's thinking about, if you think about it, 
you'll probably stop yourself most of the time. Yeah. And I think it's important too, for people to not feel like they have to live an all or nothing life. Like you might have good intentions that you're going to skip the cupcakes 90% of the time. But then that 10%, if you take the cupcake, you don't look at yourself, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure. I'm horrible at this. And then go binge eat all the cupcakes. Exactly. And that's something else we talk about, especially in our introductory module, is how you talk to yourself matters, right? So if you've had that cupcake or you've had that cigarette and you're trying to stop smoking, it doesn't turn you into a bad person. It doesn't turn you into a binge eater. It doesn't turn you into a smoker. You had a cigarette. You had a cupcake. You did it. It's okay. You know, now tomorrow's another day, right? It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you failed. You might want to, as we see your module, think, why did I do that? Like, let's say you you know, you were at, you had a tense office meeting and you trying to stop smoking and you go out and have a cigarette and you go, okay, well, I seem to be grabbing for my cigarette under situations in which I'm tense. Are there other things I can do? What, what can I learn from that? Right. Maybe I can go talk with a coworker and work off some steam. Maybe I could go for a walk instead. Give yourself, be kind to yourself when you fall off the wagon, as we all do every day, basically, or another, right? You're human. Okay, you did it. It's okay. What can you learn from it? That's the important thing. What can you learn from what happened? And what can you do differently next time? And then I think another one of the big things is fitness. And it's one of your categories, exercise. I know when I was diagnosed, they treated me like they didn't know what to do with me. I was like this freak of nature because I was already in amazing shape and I worked out consistently. And it was just, I mean, that was my first, one of my first questions I started asking them is, when can I start working out? How is this going to affect me? You know, if I choose this option, you know, what's it going to do? And they didn't know what to do with me. And I feel like even in the last four years, we have learned a lot about the value of exercise when it comes to preventing recurrence and the value of exercise when it comes to the effects on your brain and and in treating the the pain and just the cognitive things that can happen to you when you're going through chemo. So can you tell us just a little bit about the types of things you cover in the course about the value of fitness and exercise? Absolutely. Fitness is critical. I just got, uh, in terms of of cancer and chemotherapy, as you say, I just yesterday saw a study that was published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, and which is one of the top journals in in oncology in the world. And this study uh, that was done at the Dana-Farber Institute in Boston, Mm -hmm. Cancer Institute, Uh, They found that people who engaged in some type of physical activity had a statistically significant improvement in progression-free survival. That means how long they went before recurrence uh, when they had advanced uh, colon cancer. And Hmm. not only that, but they found that physically active patients in the study tolerated chemotherapy much better. Um, so so they're, they, they, they said that total physical activity equivalent to 30 or more minutes a day of moderate activity was associated with almost a 30% reduction 
in severe treatment-related toxicities from chemotherapy. I mean, 30% is huge. Yeah. So these studies like this roll out almost on a daily basis, showing the benefits of physical activity in terms of cancer, cancer recurrence, and tolerance of side effects of chemotherapy. The data is strong. And you don't need to be some world-class athlete. I mean, you, you, you heard in that study, they're talking about 30 minutes a day of walking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other studies have shown that being out in nature is really important to countering depression. And so, like, when I got diagnosed with cancer, a pretty serious case in 2001, a friend of mine came to see me. I was sort of curled up in bed in a fetal position. And, you know, I hadn't started chemo yet, but I was going to, I was about to start the whole process that you've been through as well. And she, she just looked at me and she said, we are going to walk you through this. And I, so I had my surgery, I had my radiation, I had my chemo and all the while she and I walked. We walked in the woods, you know, it's really, it's so great to be in nature. If you, obviously if you live in a city, that's not available to you necessarily. Some people can get out of the city, but even just walking, especially walking with a friend, talking, you know, it's, it's so good for your psyche and it's great for your body. And all of this is really important. This kind of self-care is really, really important in determining, of course, with cancer and with toxicities. Yeah, I felt like that was one of the best things that we did was the minute I was I had my mastectomy first and then chemo came later, but the minute I was cleared to get any type of movement, I had friends who were lined up and to walk with me. And we would walk anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or sometimes even a little bit longer than that, depending on, you know, what day it was and how I felt, but it was, you know, the benefit of being outside, movement, and having that friend to talk to. Exactly. And I just think it's huge because it gives you lots of benefits all at once. Absolutely. It's really huge. And I will say for, for those of your listeners or loved ones of your listeners who are going through cancer treatment, um, a lot of times, you know, especially when you get diagnosed, you hear from people, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And a lot of us just say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can take care of myself, Right. And one thing that I realized is that people really want to help. I mean, you need to provide an outlet for that energy. It, it helps you and it helps them. So don't be afraid of, of getting help, whatever form that comes in. I mean, I had people making me meals, which was very helpful. I had three little kids and I couldn't really cook, you know, easily. Mm-hmm. And also people who just wanted to do stuff with me, including walking. And so I think, you know, helping people channel that positive energy that they want to to shower you with in some way. And I think that walking uh, with them or doing things with them that are fun, especially if they're outdoors and in nature, um, is a great way. It's a great way to engage with friends and family who are trying to help you through that experience. Well, yeah. And just the act of being around other people who really want to shower you with love just is such a huge benefit, I think, to your healing too. Oh, absolutely. It's important to seek out. You don't need a lot of people. A lot of people think, well, I don't have a lot of friends. You don't need a lot of friends. You just need a few key people, one Mm -hmm. or two or three, 
who are going to be there for you, who are supportive and who can help you through. It's not about quantity. It's really about the quality of your relationships. So I think that's a nice little segue then into the mindset piece. What do you, what are the most important pieces of, about mindset that has to do with cancer prevention? Well, I would say we recommend like when people sign, they can take any module they want in our course. We recommend they start with the introduction and then, because that sort of lays the groundwork, but ideally next would come mindset because those two modules together, they kind of help, you know, prepare the ground for the changes in the other areas that you might want to make. For example, we've already touched on with mindset, um, automatic thinking. You know, whether because if you're just on automatic all the time, you're going to, you know, you're going to reach for that donut, you're not or you're not going to exercise, you're not thinking, you're just kind of going about your day. So a lot of what we teach about in in mindfulness, uh, sorry, in the mindset piece is mindfulness, which is being really present in the moment and, and just trying to enjoy what is around you at that time and all the kind of peace that comes from awareness and not living in the past or living in your fears about the future, understand that those are just, the past has already happened, the future, you have no idea what's going to happen, and those are just thoughts in your head. So learning to not ignore those things, but learning to to diminish their importance in your life is very, very important. Um, And, you know, stress is a killer, as most people know. The stress hormones, adrenaline, uh, cortisol, these have been shown actually to promote tumor growth. So in, you know, in vitro, in, uh, in, in test tubes and stuff, they, we can't um, really prove it in humans. It's hard to measure, but there are studies that show that it does promote tumor growth. So um, keeping these kind of stress hormones in check as best you can is really important. And um feeling, you know, we do talk about the way you talk to yourself, because if you're down on yourself all the time, or you surround yourself with toxic people who are, who are thoughtless or unkind, or who state, you know, who, who say negative things to you, and you start, you know, taking that in, um, these things are, do not promote health, you know, they do the opposite. So it's learning to look at that. How do you talk to yourself? How do the people around you treat you and talk to you? Maybe, I mean, for example, uh, in class, we had somebody who um, had a drinking buddy. She would go out with every Friday night with her drinking buddy. It was just a thing that they've always done. They're really good friends. Then she got cancer and she learned that she may be alcohol, you know, binging like that once a week is probably not the best thing for me to do for myself when I have cancer. So she called her friend and said, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. And her friend was upset. Oh, wow. She said, she said, you know, we've done this for years and how could you, you know, blah, blah. I mean, her friend was not at all even understanding about her need to live a different life. Well, that's not a friend you need in your life. That's not a friend you need. Sometimes cancer does help bring that out, you know, or, or a serious diagnosis like that. You start to see the people who really have your best interests in mind. And those who don't. So that's yeah, it's another lesson that can come from that experience. So yeah, the mindset piece is absolutely critical for a number of reasons. Now, I know another part of your program talks about 
the things we put on our body, the dish soaps we use, the lotions, the shampoos, the type of cookware we use. People think I am completely over the top when I talk about this kind of stuff. So I would love for you to share your wisdom and insight on this topic. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you asked because it's something I feel very strongly about. Um, We've been teaching this module in person, as I say, until we develop the online course. We call it Anti-Cancer Environment. We've been teaching it since 2011. It is the part of our course that gets the most extreme responses from our participants. Because first of all, inevitably, in the first 15 minutes when our green living expert starts talking about this, a hand shoots up every time. And they'll say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the, doesn't the FDA or the EPA or these government organizations, like, don't they test and check everything before it's allowed on the shelf? Like, are you kidding me? And we'll say, well, actually, no, they do not. Matter of fact, the opposite. You are totally unprotected by your government. I mean, totally is extreme. You are mostly, almost completely unprotected by your government from these things. I mean, just to give you an example, there are about 85,000 human-made chemicals in use and, and thousands more are being developed all the time in current use. Of those, 11 have been banned. 11. And in the United States, only 11, (laughs) only 11. uh, And, and in, you look in Europe and over 1500, almost 1600, we're looking at the same list of chemicals have been banned there that have not been banned here. So, you know, what that speaks to is that we're just not being protected. That's just the reality. And we, we do explain that in the course and we do, we, we have a lot of talking heads who, um, actually under underline that for us, people at Harvard and MIT and, you know, people whose credentials are unassailable. They say the same thing. We're not being protected. It is up to us to protect ourselves. So the anti-cancer environment uh, module, it's, it's not meant to scare you and freak you out. It's just meant to explain to people that they're not being protected, that there are known carcinogens, known chemicals of concern, and known endocrine disruptors, those chemicals that mess with our hormones, all over our environment. And just by being wiser shoppers, just by being careful about what we buy, literally, and what we put into our home, on our bodies, our cleaning products, you can reduce your exposures to these chemicals by a lot. I mean, there's been studies that have been done about that you actually have a lot of control uh, over your exposures. So what we do is we first educate people about what these kind of chemicals are and then how they can get some control over them just by being wiser shoppers. Mm -hmm. So we give them tools that let them do that. We make sure we're not trying to raise the temperature on this. We don't want people freaking out, throwing out their Teflon pans for example, though Teflon does contain some chemicals that you don't want in your body, non stick does, not just Teflon. Um, so we educate about that. It's like, no, you know, when you're ready to get rid of it, you know, get rid of it and replace it with this kind of pan sort of thing. Or you don't have to throw out your shampoo because it's got parabens and methyl paraben and uh, other preservatives. You don't have to throw it out, just use it up. But next time you buy shampoo, 
look for these things. So that's kind of the, the approach that we take in the anti-cancer environment. So we have talked about so many of my favorite topics all rolled into one. If people want, if the, people find this interesting and they want to learn more, tell us a little bit about your course and how they can find it. Absolutely. So the course, to access the course, you just have to go to our website, which is easy to remember, I think, anti-cancer lifestyle, one word, just anticancerlifestyle.org.org. And when you get on the website, you'll see a way to register for the course. You'll see the, the modules, the description of the modules. As I say, there were five, five modules. And there's also on the website, and there, we talk about the program. We have an About Us section and an FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, where you can learn more. But we also have, um, which I think is a really cool feature, a toolkit for, and you don't need to be, you don't need to enroll in the course to use the toolkit. So the toolkit's divided by module. So we'll have a diet toolkit, a fitness toolkit. And in these toolkits, we have apps that you can use. If you, let's say you want to, you know, help, you know, track your diet better. You can, we have list apps you can use or meditation apps under the mindset, for example. Um, we have articles and research. We have videos. We have books. We have worksheets. We have t- uh, tip sheets. You know, we have a, all kinds of things that you can use on your own to really uh, help develop your own anti-cancer lifestyle. And I stress your own because everyone's going to be different. You know, everyone, you just never know with people what they're going to latch on to, what's going to be important and relevant to them now. And it might be different a year from now. So like, for example, in one of our classes, I'll never forget this one woman, she was very vocal about, I don't like this mindset stuff. Like, I don't want to meditate. All this stuff feels weird to me and I don't want to do it. And I'm like, fine, you know, don't do it. We're just trying to teach you about it. And so that you can know that it's out there. And um, she was very vocal. She was kind of funny about it, actually. Well, a year later, we got an email from this woman and the same person. And she said, you know, I was in a fender bender on my way to work. It freaked me out. We had to call the cops, you know, to take an accident report. I was late for work. I was thinking about how much it was going to cost me to fix my bumper. You know, I was upset. And I found myself reaching for one of the meditations that I learned a year ago in class. And I just, I started just slowing my breathing, just focusing on what was going on right now and not worrying about being late for my meeting and worrying about the bumper and worrying about all this stuff, just taking lots of deep breaths. And by the time the cops actually got there, she said, I was calm. I was in control. I was able to describe what happened. I wasn't freaking out. And this, it was just such a great kind of reinforcement because this was the same person who a year before was, could do, you know, spent a lot of time putting down that, that mindset piece. But a year later, it was, it, she reached for it and it was really relevant to your life. So I would say that about all of this, some of the stuff that we teach may not be relevant to someone right now, but it might be at later times. So. And like we talked about closer to the opening of this show, even if you don't think that, you, you know, maybe you don't need to do it because you've had cancer. Maybe you have some other health situation all of these things that you're talking about help improve how you feel and help improve inflammation and all of the risk factors for other diseases. So it all can be relevant 
at some point, I think. Absolutely. It's there for people when they need it and when they want it. But I would say it's never too soon to start learning this stuff and trying to rejigger your life a bit at a time. Because as you pointed out, the general culture doesn't support that. You know, people sit most of the time. They don't get out. They don't walk with others. They don't eat healthy foods. You know, they do a lot of things that in the end, I mean, they're perfectly good, great people, but the culture is not supporting them in a healthy lifestyle. And most people are busy and they're stressed and they've, or they've got kids and they've got, you know, jobs and they've got so much going on, they can't really focus. But I would just encourage people to focus on this as much as you can work into your life because I guarantee that as you start to make these changes, you will start to feel better. You'll start to feel less stressed. Your if you have bowel issues or because you're, you're eating poorly or you know other digestive problems, they'll start to get better. I mean, there's so many benefits that uh, it's endless, really, the number of benefits that come from just taking care of yourself. That's awesome. This has been fascinating to me. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask? Um, No, I would just encourage people to uh, check out the the modules. I think they're great. We're so so pleased with them. We're looking forward to getting them out there and uh, helping people improve their health on a daily basis. All right. So the last question I ask on every podcast is power up your performance is all about learning how to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. And that can be a champion in the area of sport or just a champion's mindset. What are three traits that you believe all champions possess? You know, uh, and I, I appreciate you giving me the heads up earlier in an email about this because I did a lot of thinking about it because, you know, we're, my husband and I started a business many years ago. And so I think about what it takes, you know, to, when you say a champion, you know, someone who sets a goal and whatever that goal happens to be, whether it's in business or athletics or whatever it happens to be, uh, and achieves it. Um, that I, that's what I would call a champion. Mm-hmm. And, right. and I was thinking about it in terms of our business, cause I'm not an athlete, you know, I don't, I don't have that going, but I would say the things that I think are most important are first of all, persistence. You know, if, if you fall off the horse, just get back on it the next day. You know, it's about, it's not about judging yourself harshly as we talked about. It's not about, oh, I failed at that. I'm a failure. Um, you're not a failure, you know, you, 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 just because you did whatever you didn't live up to your goals doesn't mean that you can't start right now to, you know, figure out a different pathway. What, what can you learn from, from what happened that you didn't like? So it's really about persistence and about focusing on the way you talk to yourself. I mean, we had a million setbacks in our business. And if my husband, who was, who was the entrepreneur, uh, as opposed to me, I, you know, I was helping, but I wasn't the entrepreneur. And if he had said to himself, I'm a failure, you know, we, we, uh, we lost all the production this, you know, this one day, or we lost this account, I'm a failure. Well, we wouldn't have had a business for very long. So I think persistence is really important. I think that having big goals is, is critical, but as critical is learning how to break them down into doable chunks. 
because if you just set a big goal, like um, I'm going to become, I'm going to learn, you know, to run five miles in whatever minutes. Well, okay. But you know, what are the odds just setting a goal like that of you making it happen uh, are, are pretty small. So you would have to say, well, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start, I'm going to run, you know, half a mile and then I'll try to improve my performance the next day. So, so break things down into doable chunks. I think that's just really important. And lastly, I would say, don't worry about the perceptions of others. You know, if something is a good idea, like you were talking about, you're at a, an office party and everyone's eating cupcakes. It's like, you feel like well to fit in or you go out with friends and they're all drinking and you know, you don't really want to drink. Well, don't drink, you know, don't worry about what people are going to think of you when you, when you, as you make these choices that you want to make for yourself, don't worry about others' perceptions. I mean, we have an organic yogurt company and when we got started with organics in the eighties, nobody was into it. You know, this is like the eighties. It's just like, as my husband always says, we had a great company. We just had no supply and no demand, you know? So <laughs> like, um, but we felt it was the right thing to do. We felt it was the right thing to do and that it was just really important. And it spoke to how we treat our planet, to how we treat each other. You know, we kind of had bigger goals in mind with it, even though everyone looked at us like we were freaks at the time. And I just think, you know, sticking close to your heart and what you know to be important, what you know to be right, irrespective of what's going on in the culture around you, that's a champion. I love it. That's all great advice. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Kim. It was a Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe. As a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week, and I will catch you next Tuesday.